on this special occasion of saying farewell to our dear sister, I want to take us to Acts 20, verse 24, one verse. And the title of our message today is Fearless and Focused Finishers. Fearless and Focused Finishers. Hear the word of God as recorded in Acts 20, verse 24, please. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The historical context for this verse is that Paul was obediently heading to Jerusalem, knowing, according to verse precedes, that chains and tribulations awaited him there in Jerusalem. You see, Paul fully realized what we need to realize, that he was on a battleship and not on a cruise ship. On his way there to Jerusalem and his God-appointed chains and challenges there, he called for the spiritual leaders of a particular church, the church at Ephesus, which were the recipients of the New Testament book called Ephesians. Paul summoned the leadership of the Ephesian church to a place called Miletus as he was on transit to Jerusalem. And he wanted to have one final meeting with those spiritual leaders, sort of like today. One last time, Lorraine and Calvary Bible Church. One last time on this side of earth. Paul did two things with that poignant leadership goodbye huddle that he called. Number one, he reminded them of what his ministry looked like among them. And number two, he exhorted them to serve Christ and Christ's flock in Ephesus. I've told you before that Christianity is like the space shuttle. No spectators, all crew. And so if we are saved, then we have been put into service for Christ. Let me get personal. If you are born again, you are a servant of Christ. Are you living like one? We don't need any sideline servants. People content to be saved, but on the sideline when it comes to serving Jesus. That is not the New Testament norm. That is not the will of God for any of us in Christ Jesus. There are no sidelined servants in the economy and plan of God. I'll always remember a precious instance of this catching on a young person, a child, the church I pastored in Pennsylvania had a sizable property on, on woods. And so every year we had an annual uh, walk-through nativity outreach to our community. And we had the various stations of the story of Jesus' birth and ministry and death and uh, resurrection and actors in costume and bonfires at these various sites and persons from our church and our neighborhood would be taken through the circuit in the woods to these experiences and would learn about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And I was, my role as the pastor of the church was to be in the lobby of the church afterwards where the hot chocolate and cookies were served to meet people and to be available to talk about the Lord Jesus with any who may want to chat about him. And I'll never forget 
that little Tezu, she was four years old, she was hanging on to her mummy's hand, and, and her mummy was going on about how great the Christmas walk through nativity experience had been. And Tezu's eyes went about as big as silver dollars, four years old, mind you, and she said, it was wonderful. How do I get involved? That's the question. <laughs> Whether we're four or 104, how do I get involved? in the work of Christ that cannot fail, the work of Christ that endures eternity. How can I get involved? No spectators, all serving servants. 24 again. But none of these things move me. What things? Go back to the previous verse. The anticipated chains and tribulations in Jerusalem. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that... Result, that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I have another illustration of willing servants running the race, even when it involves chains and afflictions. There's a favorite video clip I put on my Facebook post often. It's of a believer in Christ in a wheelchair vacuuming his church's sanctuary with zeal and zest. Here this man cannot walk, and in his wheelchair he's using a vacuum to clean the carpets of his church's sanctuary every week. Or I think of the believer named Nick Vujicic. A brother, a man born without any arms and without any legs, just a torso and a head. He's traveled the world preaching the gospel to people of all ages, witnessing Christ to dignitaries and heads of state and winning people to Jesus Christ without arms, without legs. But he's not a spectator to the cause of Christ. He's an active servant. I love that. And so if you sense you've been on the sideline. It's time to get off the sideline. It's time to ask the Lord, what we have you to do on the playing field to serve him? He's got something for you. Whatever your age, however old you are in Christ, whatever your gifts, whatever your training, whatever your education, whatever your experience, whatever your spiritual gift, he has something to get you off the sideline and into service for him. That's humbling. You know, I've had enough rainy days in my life that I learned that with a challenging jigsaw puzzle, you pretty well can't do it unless you have the picture of what the puzzle looks like on the lid of the box to look at. Verse 24, in some ways, is like the puzzle box picture for us when it comes to ministry that pleases the Lord. Verse 24 gives us the picture that God has painted that should be what our lives look like if we're serving Christ in ways that honor heaven. Verse 24 again, our key verse. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear for myself, so I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's a rather simple puzzle lid picture. It only has three pieces. Three very easily understood pieces are to combine for each one of us to produce the servant life of worship to Christ that honors him. Just three puzzle pieces. Each one easily understood. Ready? The first puzzle piece in this verse is be fearless. 
The second puzzle piece still in this verse is be a finisher. And the third puzzle piece in this verse is be focused on the gospel. Let me say that again. When these converge and combine in my life and yours, being fearless, being a finisher, and being focused on the gospel, then whatever God calls us to do to serve the risen Christ will be pleasing to the one who calls us to serve him. Be fearless. Be a finisher. Be focused on the gospel. Let's see it right in the text. Be fearless, first part of 24. But none of these things, that is the chains and tribulations of verse 23, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Paul was fearless, and we ought to be too. That's the first jigsaw puzzle piece. The second puzzle piece is be a finisher. That's the second part of verse 24. So that I may finish my race with joy the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. Third puzzle piece, be focused on the gospel. The last part of verse 24, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So friend, if you know Christ, you're called into service. And the way your service, whatever the shape of your service, the flavor of your service, the emphasis of your service, the peculiar details of your service, whatever your service for Jesus Christ is, to do it right, you must be fearless. To do it right, you must be a finisher. And to do it right, you must be focused on the gospel of grace. That's it. At least from this particular verse, that is proper Christian ministry. And of course, the New Testament, time and time again, betrays the fact that the Apostle Paul's puzzle, ministry puzzle, looked just like this. I mean, Paul was fearless, and Paul finished the race, and Paul was focused on the gospel. His life lined up with his exhortation to the Ephesian elders and to his current moment exhortation through Scripture to us. And now at this point, I have to be real. I try to be real always, but let's be real here. Let me just say this, that we all still have flesh with which we still must contend until we see Christ through rapture or physical death. Until we see Christ and be made to be fully like Christ, we have an enemy within called our flesh. There's a civil war going on in every one of us who are believers between our flesh, our old man, our old woman, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And our flesh does not at all choose for us fearlessness. Our flesh does not choose finishing the race. Our flesh will not focus on the gospel. Our flesh doesn't do any of that, never will. So whereas the three puzzle pieces to serve Christ properly are not hard to understand, they are impossible to desire enough to exert to achieve except the Holy Spirit within each of us eclipses, overrides, overrules our flesh. Moment to moment. Moment to moment to moment to moment. You know, I've only been married once. 
But I've had to ratify those marriage vows over and over and over and over again. So I believe, with the Holy Spirit helping us, that we understand Acts 20, verse 24, as it's been presented, that we are to be fearless and focused finishers in our service for our Savior. I believe we understand that. It's not an intellectually uh, troubling or uh, difficult thing to understand. But the question becomes, so what? Is this just religious theory? Is this just a Christian idea, a value? What difference does Acts 20 Verse 24, have tomorrow morning for us. And Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and next Lord's Days, the rest of our redeemed lives on earth. What difference does the call to service for Christ that Acts 20, verse 24, presents to each of us who are saved, no matter how young or how old, what difference does this verse make? What difference should it make? How do we practically obey and answer the call of this verse for Christian service? I want to ask myself and each of you three right-between-the-eyes questions. Remember, I'm asking myself first, and I invite you to ask yourself these same three right-between-the-eye questions. You ready? Will I be fearless in serving Jesus. You know, apparently, more Christians around the world today are dying for their faith in Christ than in all the other times in human history combined. And lest we be living like the living frog whosoever gradually was boiled to death in a pan of water, although able to hop out of the saucepan at any time, may I remind us that there is a communist superpower who's becoming more and more cozy with time with the Commonwealth of the Bahamas? Do we remember that this communist superpower is ranked among the 20 worst religious freedom countries on earth that persecute, kill Christians, and that the stated position of this communist superpower is to eliminate Christianity from their country using intimidation and murder, Persecution of the church is this communist superpower's modus operandi. One day, I just wonder, will they transition from being guests in our country to being something far more sinister? Maybe the question, will I be fearless, in my service for Jesus Christ is more close to us than far. Maybe it's more close to us in time than far away in time. Maybe it's closer to us in physical proximity than we think. 
Will we be fearless in serving Jesus Christ? But none of these things, that is, chains and tribulations, move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Will we be fearless? The second, right between the eye, question is, will I finish God's plan for me? Will I finish God's plan for me? And then how determined will I be to finish God's race set for me? You know, in our home, the word stupid is a swear word. We have taught our children and we ourselves work on the principle that to say something or someone is stupid in our home is to use a swear word. Stupid is a swear word. I would like to submit to us another word that is just as dirty a swear word, a four-letter dirty swear word to a committed Christian, and that is quit. Quit should be a dirty four-letter swear word for the committed Christian. We ought not to quit the race that we have discerned that Jesus Christ has given to us, whatever that race looks like. Quitting should not be an option. I think of in Mexico City Olympics 1968, the Tanzanian marathon runner. He, like the other athletes, hadn't adequately time to train in the higher altitudes that Mexico City presented to the race. And one-third into the 26.2-mile marathon, his muscles started cramping up incredibly and painfully, so much so that as he kept running that he collapsed He injured his shoulder as he fell, and he dislocated his knee in the fall. But he kept kept running, hobbling. He finished the marathon race one hour after the winner of the marathon gold medalist finished. There was a buzz in the stadium that there was someone still on the course who was badly injured, and he was still running the race. And some people in the stadium stayed an hour after the medals were presented to the winners to see this courageous Olympian come into the stadium barely able to walk. They asked him in a press conference after uh, this happened, they said, why, when you were so badly injured, why did you keep running? Why did you force yourself to finish the race? His answer was simple. He said, My country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Any other questions? Jesus Christ finished his race. And he calls all of us who love him and know him, who belong to him, to, to run the race he's given us to run for his glory. Quitting should be an alien concept to us. The word quit, I would submit, a four-letter swear word when a Christian is contemplating the race set before him or her by the Savior. The question becomes, will I finish? The third, right between the eyes question I ask myself and I ask you, my brothers and my sisters, will I focus on the gospel the remainder of my days? Will I focus on the gospel until I go to heaven? 
You know the believer's money and family and job and conversations and prayers should be washed in the mighty shadow cast by the cross of Jesus Christ. Last part of verse 24, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was the bottom line for Paul. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God. Is that what your life's about? When the pastor does your graveside service, as I did for Jackie right yesterday, will he be able to say she was all about the gospel? He got up in the morning, served through the day, and went to sleep every night because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martyred missionary Jim Elliott wrote in his prayer journal, and I paraphrase, a prayer to his heavenly Father. Father, make me to be a crisis man, a fork in the road, so that everyone who meets me is forced to make a decision about your Son, who is the Savior. Will we focus on the gospel of God's grace? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, this week, when you make your time alone with the Lord, just the word of God and yourself and your Lord, somewhere quiet, uninterrupted, I want you to think about something with me. I want you to think about whether or not you are cheerfully tethered to the cross so that you cannot stray far enough from it to chase the vanishing fluff, the candy floss, which the world offers to you? Am I cheerfully tethered to the cross so that I cannot wander away from it far enough to eat the candy floss of this world? In 1 Corinthians... In closing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 and following, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Are you tethered to the cross? And then, in the epistle to the Galatian region of churches, last chapter, verse 11 and 12 and then 14, Paul says to 
through the Spirit of God. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ, verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The puzzle box lid is clear and easy to understand. Three pieces. How will you serve the Lord properly? But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Lord, we desire to be fearless. We desire to be finishers. And we desire to be focused on the gospel. And the supreme, perfect example of this, of course, is our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And for all of eternity, our praise for him will include praise for his perfect fearlessness, his perfect finishing of our atonement, and his perfect expression of your grace to us in his cross. Lord, send us to what lies ahead of us the rest of our lives with this clear three-piece puzzle commitment. We ask this for your honor and for your glory. And God's servant said, amen.